Hello and welcome to the Business Masterclass podcast from Love Wimbledon and the Merton Chamber of Commerce. I'm Craig Hurring, Chief Executive of Love Wimbledon. This is the first episode in a series of exclusive masterclasses for businesses to learn, engage and discover tangible solutions to pressing business challenges. In this edition, the focus was managing business in uncertain times and the masterclass included a discussion on how you can recession-proof your business. Our guest speakers for this episode were Michael Martin, financial journalist and founder of Canizaro Planning, Monica Hunter, an executive business coach, and Al Gilovich, chief operating officer at Domestic and General, who were also our hosts for the event. The evening started with an introduction from the host and chair of Merton Chamber of Commerce, Sarah Austin. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. To, to reiterate that tonight is all about you and helping you in, in your in your business. So now let's turn to the speakers. And I'm delighted to introduce you to our first speaker this evening, Michael Martin. Michael's been a financial advisor for almost 25 years. And he's a Financial Times columnist and he's written for numerous other publications, including The Times, The Independent, The Telegraph Money Expert. And Michael has recently established his own firm, Canizaro Planning, which guides private clients to achieve their financial goals. And with that, I would like you to, to welcome Michael. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I had a full storm then. So thank you all very much for coming out tonight. It's a lovely evening. And trust me, when we came here the first time, the view across London is incredible, but sadly not tonight. So I'm going to talk about five things, and I'm going to try and break them down and then try and give you a positive message at the end of it. I'm going to talk to you about inflation, interest rates, wage growth, strikes, and taxation. A thrilling <laughs> list. And I'm going to take seven minutes. I could take seven days, but I'm going to try and do it in seven minutes, okay? So inflation. Inflation is only a problem when you're going into inflation. When we're in the inflationary environment or coming out of it, it's a fantastic time. The problems are we need growth to keep up with inflation. And when growth is higher than inflation, everything is okay. At the moment we have this lag, inflation is high, growth is low, so people are feeling the pinch. Inflation is generally quite a good thing because it keeps the economy going. Borrowers like inflation because it reduces the amount of debt they have. Governments like inflation, especially at the moment because they've got large amounts of debt. Savers hate inflation because it kills them. The question is how long this inflation is going to last and how long it's going to be baked into what we buy. For example, petrol prices went up and came back down. If that happens to a lot of goods, we might very well have a deflationary environment, which means, well, I'm not going to buy what I want now because it might be cheaper next year, which means people might put off purchases, which is almost as dangerous as an inflationary environment as well. So we need to try and work out where we actually are at the moment because things are, are we in a blip or are we in a longer term inflationary environment? Interest rates, that leads on from inflation. So. Interest rates are 3.5%. A lot of people in their 20s and 30s would be thinking, oh my God, this is astronomical interest rates. You know, we've, for the last 10 years, we've had half a percent interest rate. Historically, 3.5% hasn't actually been that, that high. I think, you know, late last year, most people were thinking interest rates are going to go above 5%. My personal view now is I think it's probably going to go above 4 perhaps this year. 
and perhaps might start to come down. But three and a half might become the new norm. Half a percent, I don't think, will be the norm going forward. I think that was extraordinary. You know, that was bizarre. Wage growth. So when you have high inflation, people are worried about um, wage growth. If you look at the statistics, basic wages are actually going up. The things that are coming down at the moment are bonuses. So people's fixed salaries are actually going up, but the amount of money they're taking home is actually might actually be less. That's quite a big problem with people who are seeing the cost of living going up. And that is going to have an impact on businesses. And how do we deal with that? Well, you try and speak to the employees and try and you know, talk about the benefits and things like that. These first three things lead to the fourth thing I was going to talk about, strikes. So we're living in a moment of time where there's lots of strikes because of inflation, because people's cost of living are going up. People are trying to work out how much they should be paying for things, you know, how they're going to make ends meet. I did a quick back of the fag packet sort of calculation. So if you work for the NHS at the moment and you earn £30,000 a year and the government gives you a 5% increase, that's £1,500. They then have to increase that over the next few years, 10 years. They also have to give you a pension based on that £1,500, which is index linked. So over the next 10 years, that, that £1,500 increase could cost the government £40,000. Okay? The current wage bill for the NHS each year is 56 billion. I, if you take 30,000 into 40, the total cost of that for the NHS would be over the next 10 years, 75 billion. The cost of the mini budget that almost killed the whole country was only 30 billion. Okay, that's why we're having strikes at the moment. The government doesn't have any money and we've got high inflation. And when those two things clash, we have a slight issue. And that is something we're going to have to work, work around. Which leads to, beautifully, which is everyone's favourite subject, taxation. So there's something called the Overton window, which is basically where policy is. So it's the unlikely, you know, not, not, never going to happen up here, never going to happen. And in the middle, it's where the, where the government should be and where the, you know, the people in charge are sort of thinking. Taxation is going to have to come up because we've got massive COVID bills. We've still got the quantitative easing bill, uh, bill that we've never paid back. The only way we can pay that back is increase takings and we have to increase taxation at some point. Um, and that, that's just the way the, the world is going to go over the next few years. So, the answer to all these questions, I said I'm going to try and be brief with this. Inflation will generally control itself, hopefully. Governments like a bit of inflation, borrowers do, but as I said, savings don't. But hopefully inflation will come under control as long as growth can catch up. Interest rates, let's just assume it's going to be normal at 3% or 3.5% now. 0.5 was an emergency, I don't know if many remember that. When it went down to 0.5, it was an emergency. Then at one point it went down to 0.25. That was never called anything. But if 0.5 is an emergency, I don't know what 0.25 was. But we're now going to, oh, no, no, 3, 3.5%, let's try and live with that. Wage growth. So this is a time to sort of be telling people what you're giving them apart from a wage. You know, it's, it's benefit packages, pensions, flexible working, you know, mental well-being, which I think is one of the next uh, masterclasses. It's telling, telling employees what, what they get is ancillary and, you know, how lucky they are to possibly have a job. Um, the, strikes, the strikes will end, hopefully, at some point. Well, hopefully we're not in the Maggie Thatcher minors dispute. Eventually, at some point, the government's purse and the union's demands will come closer and closer together. But as I said, find, the government finding this money is going to be very difficult because they just don't have very much at the moment. 
and taxation. So don't make any decisions based just purely on taxation. Don't base your personal or company's finances just on one little bit of legislation. But look at it on the round and look at taxation. And just focus on the things that generally will actually affect you. And, and you know, which was part of my blurb. Try and ignore the noise. There's so many things that are happening, but is it actually, ben is it actually affecting you? And if it's not, try to put these things to one side and try and focus on the things you can control and then try and control them. Thank you very much. Monica Hunter. Monica is an executive and a business mindset coach who supports leaders and entrepreneurs in creating the businesses and lives that they desire. She's an accredited coach and she has a wealth of experience in business, having worked in senior positions for large organizations such as BT, Informa, Inmarset, and she holds an MBA from Warwick Business School and is a promoter of curiosity, play, and joy in life. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. I'm going to put something different on the table. I'm going to put on the table for you your internal experience when you're in business. Michael made a very good point about focusing on what you can control. And the reason this is important is because if we worry about everything, that is not a very creative place to work from and come up with solution. So imagine you're worrying about the economic climate, the economic uncertainty, and what does that do? That makes you constrict. That doesn't allow you to be creative, to expand, to come up with really, really expansive solutions to the challenges that we're facing. So your own internal experience has a direct impact on what you do and the results you get from what you do. And when I talk about the internal experience, I talk about what you think and therefore what you feel as a result of those thoughts. And it happens in seconds. You don't even realize unless you're aware of what you're thinking. You don't even realize that you're constricting, that you're worrying, that you're trying to get really, really lean to, you know, make sure that you navigate the economic climate in the best way you can. But that mindset of worrying keeps you in survival mode, doesn't allow you to expand. So there's something else that you can do instead. And I'm going to offer, if I may, that whether we're talking about a recession, although not yet, whether we're talking about economic uncertainty. There are two ways in which you can look at economic uncertainty. One, you can say it's a problem and it's the biggest problem for my business. So what happens when you think the economic uncertainty is a problem? You try to solve for that problem. You get really lean, which is not a bad thing usually, right? You get as lean as possible. And then you think, oh my God, my clients have less money and then they'll buy less from me. But I need to survive and so I'm going to try and get something out of them. So your sales become maybe a bit pushier. Your marketing becomes a bit more desperate or maybe ceases altogether because you're cutting down costs. So that's what I'm talking about when you worry about it and when you think the economic uncertainty is a problem, you solve for that problem. But economic uncertainty, taxation, strikes, inflation, they are completely outside of your control. 
So you're trying to solve for the wrong problem. So what can you do instead? Well, the second way to look at economic challenges is, yeah, it's a circumstance, maybe even a fact. Inflation is a fact. Cost of living is a fact for some people, but doesn't have to be the problem that you solve for. And economic challenges, even if they're recessions, which I don't, we're not in a recession yet, are we? You know? But economic uncertainty, even when it's a fact, doesn't have to be a problem. It's a neutral circumstance. And how do we know this? A lot of people make a lot of money, even in this climate. A lot of people don't make money, but a lot of people do. That's why it's neutral. It depends how you look at it. If you look at it as an opportunity, you go, okay, how can I make the most of this? It's about how you think about it. Instead of worrying, how can this be an opportunity for me? What do I need to look at? When you blame the economic uncertainty and you solve for that problem, kind of blame everything else. If you want to take control for your results, you'll think, what, what is in my control? My sales processes are within my control. I can look at that. My marketing is within my control. My target audience is within my control. Am I still talking to the right people? And some of you might stand up and say, no, 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 genuinely, my clients don't have money anymore. You should probably find new clients then. Because even in this climate, there are people who still have money and people who still make money. Are you talking to them? And even those who maybe have a, a bit less money, are you now talking about their problems? Are you addressing them in the right way? Do they still see your value? Your mindset is everything. If you want to make this an opportunity, you have to stop worrying about it and look at it as an opportunity and look at what you can control. And in order to give yourself the best chance of doing this, I think there are two very important thing that, things that you can do. First of all, surround yourself with people who think positively about challenges like this. Whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a recession, an economic uncertainty, there are people who think positively about this and see it as an opportunity. Surround yourself with them. And secondly, honestly, uh, surround yourself with people who make money in times like this because you really want to borrow their mindset, their ideas, their way of looking at things. And I think that's why it's really important to come even to events like this because beyond the, oh my God, it's so difficult and we're all struggling, someone will say, yes, but I have this idea. How could we collaborate? How could we make money together? Thank you. So now I'm delighted to introduce our third and final speaker tonight, and our host for this evening from Domestic and General, Al Grilicic. Almost. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let him uh, uh, pronounce his surname. So Al joined uh, Domestic and General in November 2021, and he's now responsible for the operations, transformation, and real estate for, across all markets. 
and is passionate about innovation, operational disruption, and transformational growth. And prior to joining Domestic in General, Al held several roles within the publishing, fintech, media, and travel sectors. Al, over to you. Thank you, Sarah. So just before I start, I just want to say a big thanks to Tom Hughes, who's our Chief Risk Officer. I know he wasn't expecting this, but I'm, I'm going to embarrass him a little bit in the process. Um, and also Chris Sutton, who is around here, who helps me set up the real estate for our global footprint. Um, I read an article today, just before I get into how we operate at DNG, I read an article today that in the next five years, 50% of the world's revenue will come from new businesses, products, and propositions. And what that means is that there never really is a, thank you, uh, never really is, can you hear me without this? Yeah, okay, cool, there you go. Speak up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, I'll use this. So 50% so of the world's revenue will come in the next five years from new businesses, products, and propositions that don't exist today, which means that there never really is bad weather, there's just a bad outfit. And we've seen over the last 20, 30, 50, or even 100 years of fluxes of growth and depression, recession, inflation. The difference what we have today in today's world is that these fluxes happen more frequently and they happen in a much bigger burst. So the impact is high, but the benefit is much higher as well. So if you do make it well, you do really well. And there's loads of businesses out there that during tough times really make a lot of money. And this is what Monica was saying earlier. And they call it the lipstick effect. I'm sure you've heard of it. Where you'd think that during bad times people would spend less on cosmetics or travel or leisure. But actually they spend a lot of money on that at a smaller rate but more frequently because they want to change the mood. So it's a mood swing. And you can harness that, so depending on the industry in. But there's, there's other smaller businesses that perhaps that aren't in that industry, like bakeries. There's a specific bakery in London Bridge that made a lot of money during the lockdown. So you think, how did, how did a bakery do that? Well, they changed the whole proposition to go online. So they did courses, they did uh, online videos, they did training, they did deliveries, they did books, they sold a different proposition, a different variation of what they normally do, which you know, pre-COVID couldn't have been done at all because the bakery is you open the shop, people come to your shop and they buy stuff and they go home. So there are scenarios where despite how bad it is, you can actually make a good thing out of it. So at DNG, how do we do that at the Mexican Journal? We, um, we did something similar. We changed our proposition. We, we looked into how do we enhance what we offer our customers in a better way. We know we sell warranties. We sell warranties on white goods and, and other appliances. But we, we can't sell more than people ask for. So we've got to make sure that the offering we give them is better. And we've got to make sure that the service we give them is better. And we've got to make sure that the way we deliver that service is much better. So we're always looking to improve. So sometimes you can't add different things, but you can just enhance what you already do. But the other big important process behind that is that you take your employees with you. They've got to come onto the journey with you. So everything we do is about disrupting our business, but also maybe disrupting the market in a positive way, but also making sure we focus on retaining and attracting new talent that perhaps we didn't have before. So with that, um, you kind of go, what are the five st stages that we went through, through through that? We went through a, a stage of transformation. So we looked at how, we, how do we operate today. 
And it was very much one territory, one set of uh, leadership, another territory, another set of leadership. And that, that was okay while it was okay, but we, we changed the operating model. So now Domestic in General operates in a matrix, product-led, data-driven um, orientation. And what that means is that everything we do from a product perspective is, is oriented around outcome rather than output. And the data informs us on how we work. So we're very focused and specific around what it is we do. So we focus all of our channels, all of our energy, and all of our people on things that we know we can get the most out of in the shortest period of time with the lowest cost. Now, being a matrix, product-led, data-driven organization, it sounds easier than it is. You've got to change everything from the way you used to work to the way you work today. Now, the argument would be, well, surely that's risky. And yes, everything is risky, everything you do. But I can tell you now, based on my 20 years of working in a change transformation, not taking the risk can many times be more expensive and more risky. And, you know, if you don't start, you never find out. And then what could happen, and we all know the likes of Kodak, they didn't transform, they didn't change. They're a distant memory. There are other examples like Nokia, who were the, the world's leaders in change. We only use Nokia telephones, but they don't exist anymore. A bigger disruptor came to the market and just knocked them out the pole. It's just simple as that. So we started off with the transformation. We changed the operating model, as I said. The next things we looked at are how do we change how we work with our team? So right now, we work on a fully flex model. All of our employees can pretty much work from home every day of the week. Um, they do have the choice to come into a beautiful office like we have today here in Wimbledon. And we're building a new office up in Nottingham, which is probably even better than the one we have here. But we're giving our team the flexibility to use the office when they need to, and we give them the option to work from home when they need to. And what does that do? Well, it cuts about 73 minutes per day of travel per employee, which gives them time to do, focus on their family and friends. It gives them the time to save that money on transport and allocate that towards the high cost of living. It gives them that time and opportunity and, and uh, the cost to spend it on something else that they perhaps wouldn't have spent it on. But it also gives them the time to choose when they come to the office. So making sure our employees are um, taken care of is as important as making sure our customers are important. You'll find many times businesses talk about customer level, sorry, um, the lifetime value of a customer. We also look at lifetime value of an employee because without them we can't do much. They're the backbone of the business. So we looked at change of working. We also offer our team uh, the ability to work from any country in the months of August and December, which is a, a nice perk to have. So again, it's, it's something to give them uh, to look forward to. And then the real estate footprint. So how do we control the cost of that? Well, we've got three or four floors in this building. So we reduce the one floor. We are subletting it, if anyone's interested in the floor in this, in, uh, in this building. Uh, Mates rates apply. Um, but what, what that actually created is a better buzz on the rest of the floors. Um, so once we got everybody on, on a second floor, off onto the third, the environment changed. And what we found is when we took away that you must be in the office, more people actually started coming to the office because they wanted to create that bond and, and create that kind of the buzz in the day-to-day -day environment. And actually the productivity improved and also then everything else that goes around it just went in the same positive way. And then you kind of go, well, how does that work on the culture? 
culture is really the backbone of everything we do. We can't change the rules or change the game and then not change the culture. Because when, when you work and when everybody's in the office, the culture is very different. But when everybody's either at home, the culture is very different. So you've got to try and find a good balance between the two. So we're working on how do we continually evolve that to make sure that nobody's left out, but also everybody's included. And it's kind of, kind of the same thing, but very different in, in the same token. And it, it's really to, uh, key to note that no matter, no matter how much effort and energy you define culture, it's what the employees define it to be and how they want to work. So you'll notice I'm very much dressed down for insurance and warranty business. That's not really the norm. Uh, typically, it was in the suits and you know, very like a few of us here are. But, but the culture of the business is just be yourself and do whatever you want and how you want it to be, as long as the outcome of whatever you deliver is what the business needs. And then we look at uh, things like consumer duty. Uh, consumer duty is making sure that all of our vulnerable customers, the customers that need the most attention, are getting what they need. So that is a massive priority for us, but that also comes at a cost. So you've got to look at how do you embed those costs without hurting the business bottom line, but also making sure that the customers get what they need. And I think the last one is around cost control would be around the ESG piece, making sure that we spend just the right amount on energy, but also not too much in order to make people feel uncomfortable. So um, it's just creating a, a perfect environment where everybody can work day to day uh, in an environment that actually is comfortable with, with the work they need to carry out. So there are a number of um, aspects that we're looking at to either cost control, changing the model, disrupting our own business or disrupting the market. And I'll leave you with one last factoid, which is in the last downturn, anyone who started the innovation cycle during their process ended up being 10% higher on growth by the time they left the cycle. So I think this is a perfect time for anyone to either challenge themselves, the market or their business that they work in to make a difference in terms of the next cycle once we come out of the inflationary uh, cycle that the Michael spoke about earlier. Hopefully that gives you some insight on what we've done and uh, obviously please take the feedback as directional, not as advice. I can't give you advice because I don't know what each of your businesses do, but um, hopefully that helped. the opportunity for you to ask your questions for things that you really want to get answered by the panel. And um, so, I'm sure you are buzzing with ideas, want to ask those questions, but let me just kick off with a, with a first one for you. Um, and what, what we did was we went to a lot of local businesses, asked you for your ideas, what did you want to know, what were the questions you want to have answered. And this was one that, uh, that came up. So, um, with retention, of staff, a big concern. Just feels like you've already answered it, Al. But anyway, um, what are some of the things that I can do to say to keep my employees happy? And I begin by by asking Al. So, like I said earlier, we we're doing a lot to retain our uh, employees, uh, and I think the the economics work so much better when you try to retain your employees rather than paying agencies a lot of money to get the new staff, because not only do you have to then pay the um, acquisition cost of an employee but you then got to spend the time training them and then you've got to figure out 
how does how do that how does that person fit into the culture how does the training fit in considering people are remote how do they fit in and learn and upskill that much faster than perhaps someone that was really there so like i mentioned we do work from anywhere anytime we do two months of the year work from overseas if you like apart from the red list of countries we're trialing a four-day week for people which is really good as long as your outcome again is important if you achieve your outcome you can do the four day it's a trial for the moment but we'll get there um, we offer subsidized lunches we do cycle to work schemes we have a uh, performance driven bonus and 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 so you kind of go why isn't everyone working here and and <laughs> and, I, and i asked myself the self why didn't i find about dng before it was like amazing right but now I appreciate that not everybody can offer um, their employees everything perhaps the Mexican general can offer. But there's always quirks to find out what do your employees really want. So when I joined, everyone said to me, we need to do more socials. So I said, what does that mean? Like, we want to have the football on. We want to have a beer tap. I installed the beer tap, uh, what was it, six months ago. Nobody uses it, right? <laughs> Apart from you. <laughs> um, so I think, I think some of these people say the one things, but when you give it to them, they don't want. So it's really important to find out what makes your employee tick. Some people want better bonuses, some want a better working um, environment, some of them want better working conditions. So there isn't a single solution for everybody, but what we do do is try and retain rather than acquire. And we do the same for our customers, we do the same for our employees. So yeah, I think it's, it's gonna be individual for different companies in different markets, so hopefully that helps. Thank you, Ralph. Monica, did you want to add to, to that? Yeah, I think given the, the challenges that Al was just talking about, like every person wants a different thing. I think one thing that you, we can all remember across the board is that people work in environments and do work that makes them feel purposeful and that they have an impact in the world. So no matter the size of your company, even if it's just you and someone else, if you keep talking about what you stand for, what your values are, whether you know it's your personal values or your company values, people will get drawn to that. And if they don't, let them go. They were gonna go anyway. Find people who are attracted by those values, by the purpose, by the impact of what your company does. And if you might say, I don't know, well, I'm just the dentist, you know, I do what I do. But actually, there's a bigger purpose about, you know, health and making a difference to people and making them feel good about themselves. You can always talk about a higher purpose and people will always be attracted to that. Um, so I would say if they are not, honestly, let them go. The right person will come along. Thank you, um, so, I'm not going to give an answer. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I might give something. Well, all I'm going to do is remind myself working in my organisation before and it. I think people say things like it'd be nice of a beer tap, but they don't actually understand what that means. It's just a thing, and and they probably didn't expect it to happen either. So they thought I'll chuck this thing out. I bet they won't do it. Then I can complain about it not happening. And then when it does happen, you go. Actually, I'd rather go to the pub, to be perfectly honest. What I've found is the reason people come to offices mostly is to see other people. Like, it's the teamwork, it's the collaboration, it's the intellectual capital you can get from joining other people. 
that's always been the secret to any organization and it, it, I think it still is it's getting people to work together so you know I had an assistant in my last place every time she came to work she had to pay for transport exactly what you're saying pay for transport have to pay for lunch transport back home and about an hour each way so it's two hours of her time and about 15 to 20 pounds a day it's got to be worth her while to get to that office and she wasn't coming there to the gym because her gym's down the road the pub was next door to her house you know there's nothing in the in the office that we can replicate better than they've got at home apart from intellectual capital and collaboration so it's trying to work with teams and work with other people but i don't know how you do that thank you <laughs>when you sit at the desk, sit, answer your emails and then go home, you, you don't need to come in for that. But we did introduce, uh, as part of the transformation, something called OKRs. OKRs are objectives and key results. So you kind of go, well, what, isn't that just another acronym for another way of measuring the same thing as you did before? And it isn't. Um, so in the past, we used to use, um, what were those reports that we had? KPIs. Yeah, the balance scorecard, right? And the difference with the balance scorecard is every function did their own balance scorecard. And so the, you get to the end of the year and you kind of go, great, I've done my job, but, but guess what, Tom? I've created a mess in your area that you've now got to go clean up. Whereas what objectives and key results are, they, they group orientated. So the whole group gets together and says, this is what my stretched objective is for the year. And by the way, it has to make sure that there's no disruption to your business area or your business function. But we collectively create these OKRs where the business ends up benefiting rather than the function benefiting. So we move from balanced scorecards to OKRs, they're group orientated, and they measure outcome rather than output. And what I mean by that, it's so easy and very um, seductive to deliver a massive platform rollout. And you go, tick, I've rolled this platform out. And you kind of go, well, what did that do? I go, no idea, I'm not the owner of it somebody else's. So you spend a lot of time and money doing this and you kind of go, but no one's benefiting. It's another platform we're paying for year on year out that nobody's using. So now you've got to go, if I deliver this platform, who's going to benefit from it? You know, function A, B and C. Great. By how much? By when? And at the, at the results of saving what? So we've changed the whole mantra from going outputs to outcome. And this is why it's so important that a business of our size and our type becomes product-led rather than project-led. And there's always going to be a need for project managers, but not quite in the same extent we used to have before. So outcome and measurements are absolutely the key. Uh, Delia from Business Clan. Um, my question leads on from talking about law and legislation. Um, I'd like to ask each of the panellists if you could change one piece of legislation or create something that would help businesses, what would it be and why? And I'd like to ask Al, um, Michael that first, please. 
Good choice. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question, so I'm going to try and think of an answer as quickly as possible. One piece of legislation. Um, we well, no, well, <laughs> well, the 48 hour thing is quite interesting because everywhere I've worked, literally in the first day, they hand you a thing to sign to say, could you ignore this? And that's quite uh, depressing <laughs> to go, so you're going to work me like a dog. Brilliant, thanks very much. Um, one piece of legislation. Hmm. Do you want me to start? Yes. <laughs> right, you you owe me one. It's not an exam. So I, I would say IR35. It, it, it's a massive, massive bane in our lives. I mean, we. So what it is is basically there's a lot of gig economy individuals who are perceived by the government to uh, be taking the mick out of the tax system. Um, there's a lot of reptile businesses who want to hire people who want to work on a temporary basis, but they have to jump through many, 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 many hoops to even prove that they're not trying to avoid tax. Um, so if we could kill that, we would get much better talent, we would get fewer unemployed people, um, and we would have a less um, anxious individuals who are working in, under the IR35 umbrella who just actually don't know where they're set because even the law itself is quite vague in terms of whether you're in or out of IR35. So that's the one I would absolutely vouch for, and if they could fix that ASV, it would be great. I'm really sorry, I think you're wrong. <laughs> um, the changes of the legislation that came in last April yeah. uh, mitigated a huge number of the pieces of that. For So any small companies, now, uh, I can't remember the exact level, but any small companies can now uh, trade with each other without the IR35 worry. Um, the problem was the MIC was taken massively um, for 20 or 30 years. When, the IT, when IT consultants started, everybody's paying 4K to the fruit bat, 4K to all their kids, 4K to the goldfish, and to, to collect all the money and completely avoid all taxation. It was utterly immoral and they weren't protected. At the same time, Mrs. Bloggs, who's been the cleaner for that building over there for the last umpteen years, suddenly finds that she has no NI being paid, she's been put into a personal services company, no NI being paid, and she doesn't find out for another 20 years that she's been completely stitched up by organisations that are, have put her into that, that, that piece. So. I'm really sorry, but it's absolutely vital from our, so, uh, from our social piece that we, we uh, prevent the abuses that were happening for our 35 um, to the rest of the economy. Yeah, no, I, I don't agree about, uh, I don't disagree uh, in certain or percentage of people not following the rules. What I'm saying is that when you are engaged in a specific, a specific piece of work which can quite easily be justified that it's not a take. Even that has vagueness. And I've seen contractors who I've worked with in the past who are now having to pay many, many, many tens of thousands of pounds back because of a clause in a contract as opposed to the work that we're doing. That, that's what I'm referring to because it isn't quite cut and dry as it perhaps seems. So I think that's the part that's really hurting big business at the moment. And, and I, can, I can tell you now that there are large organizations that are now hiring service integrators as opposed to individual contractors. And because of that, there's a lot of contractors who are out of jobs because they can't be part of that SI community. But, you know, each I'm, of them. I'm, 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 I'm going to thank you both there. I'm going to give you a 30 second answer to make it look, not look embarrassing. I had no answer. So literally, it's going to be 
I'd like no pensions legislation changes for 20 years. Because I keep tinkering and no one understands pension legislation. It keeps me in a job, but it's ridiculous. Thank you all for that, and, and Nick and Alan, I'm sure you'd like to continue <laughs> that conversation, but perhaps no. over the, a bit, no. uh, and, and maybe over the table for a little bit later. So, um, so I'm very conscious of time, so we've got time really for a couple more questions. Does anyone else in the audience um, want to ask something? Because otherwise I'm going to take the opportunity and ask mine. Um, so you said mindset is everything, and to look at uncertain climate as an opportunity. Um, so I've got two parts to my question. Um, number one, how do I switch to a more um, helpful mindset? And number two, any practical things that I can do when I'm worried about my business? Yes, um, actually I, I can give you something that will answer probably both questions with one um, technique, let's say. The simplest way to figure out what mindset you're in and how to change it is simply to stop and say what, what's going on with me at the moment. You might feel overwhelmed, you might feel worried, you might feel a sense of, oh, dread, oh my God, not again. That is, there's an emotion going on. And that emotion is always caused by something that you're thinking. So if you stop and say, what's going on with me now? I'm feeling overwhelmed. The next question is, what am I thinking? That, that moment alone of what am I thinking? I'm thinking it's all too much will give you the indication of where you need to change. Okay, what do I think is too much? I just think, oh my God, we haven't had clients in three days. I'm exaggerating here. Um, and that becomes the problem. Okay, what is a more helpful thought? We haven't had any clients in three days is not a very helpful thought. It puts you in that, oh. What can we do to bring clients back? That is a more helpful thought, a more productive thought. So that is the mindset tweak that you can do in a moment. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? And how can I change that thought to something more creative, more that invites solutions? Does that help? Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Really helpful. So I'm going to conclude the, uh, the questions tonight with my question. I'm going to um, use my, uh, my position as facilitator to, to ask each of the panelists this. Because I think tonight has been a lot about taking control, what can you do as individuals, as businesses, to see your way through the current circumstances? So each of you, this is my question. So what should I be thinking about to be ready for the next five years? And I'm gonna start with Michael. <laughs> the pressure every time. Um, okay, so I would say that um, everyone always asks me when the best time to invest is. The best time to invest is always the best time to suit your requirements and when do you need to? Because when the market's high, people say, oh, it's high, you don't want to be investing. Markets are low, you don't want to be investing when the market's low, it's terrible, you know, that it could fall. Is it the right thing for you to do? What do you need to do? What do you need to achieve? What's your goal for the next five years? And then you should do it. So sit down and look at your business and think, what should we be doing to get my business in the right place for the next five years? Irrespective of all the noise, irrespective of inflation, interest rates, everything, is it the time to be doing it? Yes. So just do it. Because you, you know, there's, there's the old saying that you never look back on your deathbed and, and regret the things you did do. You only regret the things you didn't do. So if you think it's the right thing to do, just do it. And you never know it might work. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha. Um, I'm going to add to that, 
you know, what do I need to do for myself to support myself over the next five years? How will I make sure I don't get in my own way? So invest in yourself as well. Whether it's in a therapy, a therapist, in your dentist, in how you look, in how you feel, invest in yourself. Self-care self is crucial for the longer term. Thank you, Michael. Thanks. Um, I would say a single word, focus. It's so easy to get distracted by the butterflies. Uh, my kids do it every time I go, take them for tennis lessons and they chase the butterflies and they never learn to play tennis. So focus on what you're good at, uh, enhance that, make it better, do it again, refine it, sharpen the saw, do it again and again. And then when you get to the point where you're doing really, really well, then diversify. Thank you very much indeed. So this brings us to the end of our panel discussion and the end of the, the questions. And the, I've, we've got a, a few thank yous. And I'd like to begin by inviting each of you to show your appreciation to the panelists for giving their time this evening for sharing their insights and making, I think, incredibly important contributions. So can we begin by... And that's it for this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. Our thanks to all of the speakers, Domestic and General, for hosting us and to the audience who attended and took part. Our thanks also to you for listening. For more information on future events, then please visit our websites, lovewimbledon.org and mertonchamber.co.uk and please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening and join us again for another edition of the Business Masterclass podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>